This is the Illinois. This is my time. This is our time. Grab that bull by the horns and own it, man. Today's your day. Let's go to work. Welcome to the Illinois podcast. The Illinois. Cutting through the noise of Illinois politics. Here's your host, Patrick Fingston. Hi again, everyone. Patrick Fingston from the Illinois Political Newsletter. And welcome you to the Illinois podcast. We're glad you're here. It is Monday, April 3rd, as we're recording this, which is the day before the uh, statewide municipal elections. Uh, where you'll have a lot of mayor's races, city council races, and school board races uh, on the uh, ballot all across the state. We're going to talk about uh, a lot of those races uh, in, in our quick show today. Uh, and then, of course, we'll we'll follow up and, and talk some more about uh, results uh, in our, our live stream on Wednesday. Um, the, the big one is obviously the, the city of Chicago mayoral race. That's, that's what sucked all the, the air out of the room. Uh, but there are a lot of mayoral races in some of this, the state's uh, largest communities. Uh, so we'll hit on those a little bit too. Uh, and uh, it's, 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 uh, it's a really interesting electoral season. And, and to, to talk about that, and because it's opening day, he's just, you know, being a, pain by putting on his White Sox jersey is, I'm sure I've got a Cubs head around here somewhere, but uh, my my friend Colin Corbett from Core Strategies uh, out in the, the suburbs, uh, he's been uh, he's been monitoring a lot of these uh, mayoral and uh, city council elections, uh, school board elections around the state, uh, specifically Chicago. Colin doesn't have a dog in the fight. They've just kind of been uh, working on it from the outside. So um, Colin, let's start here. Uh, Paul Vallis, to me, feels like the uh, the clear favorite going into Election Day. Uh, am I wrong? You're not wrong in that in a normal race, this would be a blowout. Vallis would be just killing it. Um, the problem is I've been putting this information out for about the last week because I keep hearing people talk about how, why isn't he locked this down? Why isn't he breaking 50% of the polls? Um, and there's a very simple reason for that, and it's math. The city of Chicago, the demographics, the ideological splits, the partisan splits are such that uh, Vallis is dominating, um, but he has to win so many more voters uh, in order to pull this off because Johnson's base is just so massive. Um, it being a, a you know, home opener day for the Sox, I'll use the baseball analogy of Vallis needs to score five runs to win, whereas Johnson only needs to score three. So you're right, Vallis is dominating, but in a math scenario, Johnson still actually has a path to victory despite running a pretty poor race you've, you've used the analogy that that uh or not analogy but the the description of their campaigns that Vallis is running a persuasion campaign and, and johnson is running a turnout campaign why are they doing that and, and what's working yeah, I mean, Vallis has to. So in Vallis's case, we ran the numbers and he has to not only completely own the right of center base and dominate the middle, he also has to win 22% roughly of Johnson's base in order to pull this off. So Vallis's only path was to run what's called a, a persuasion campaign, bring people on your side. That's why you see him pushing coalitions. That's why you see him pushing out, um, trying to win older uh, uh, black voters, getting conservative Hispanics, um, getting working class white from from various pockets of the city. He has to. It's the only path to victory for him, but he's done a very, very good job at it. 
Um, Johnson, to me, I think it's a misreading of the tea leaves. The people running his race are, are from the far, far left of the political spectrum. And these are people who saw in November Democrats use a abortion message and then win. And so they connected the dots and said, well, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Uh, we used abortion. It worked. We won. So let's go. But they didn't actually look at the data because if you look at November, Democrats didn't win because abortion worked for them. Female turnout was down. Minority turnout was down. Progressive turnout, young turnout, all down. Uh, and so to me, it's a misreading of the tea leaves where they think all we got to do is get our base out and we're good. Um, but ultimately right now, looking at February, looking at November in Chicago, the base has not been turning out on the progressive side in the city. And so uh, to me, it was a failed strategy from the beginning. Now, because that base is so massive, it, the, the, the the wrong strategy may end up actually working for Johnson, but um, it wouldn't be a, a, a sign that the campaign strategy worked. Because if you look at the demographics, he ought to win this race by well over, uh, well into the double digits, and he's not. The the Johnson campaign has has been interesting to me in in the sense that it has not hidden from the fact that he is you know, bought and paid for by CTU, uh, which, which is obviously a, a divisive uh, figure within, within city politics. And, and, and the fact that he has tried so unconvincingly to, to back away from these defund the police uh, lines that he has used over the years. And, and, and I know you didn't agree with what the piece I wrote last week where I said Vallis is essentially going to win because of the public safety message. So it just, it seems like Johnson's just not reading the room when it comes to public safety. Is, is, is it a mistake for Johnson or is it just that Vallis is doing it right? Yeah, so what, what I disagree with isn't, uh, you're right. What I, the point I disagree with is simply that it's by design. It's not that Johnson doesn't know these things that you're talking about. It's that's where the strategy comes in. If you're running a persuasion strategy, which is what Johnson ought to be doing, um, then he does the things you're talking about because crime is far and away the, the strongest issue. And if he did move a little bit to the center on crime and a couple other issues, embrace that, um, he would have the African-American vote locked down right now, the older and the more progressive, um, and this race would be over. Uh, but he hasn't done that. And so it's, 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 but it's by design. They're running that turnout campaign. They want their base to show up. And if they, if he in any way goes against the base's issues, you, you lose that excitement of the base. You don't bring in Bernie Sanders. You don't get all these national, very progressive endorsements if you're going for the center vote. So what you're describing is that he is intentionally doing those things. And that's the only part I disagree with. Um, he ought to be doing what you're saying, but this is part of their strategy. We're going to find out on Tuesday if it works. Uh, I'm of the mind that it may not work. But again, that's the point. If he wins by any less than 10 points, his strategy didn't work. That's the that's the watermark for him. He's supposed to win by 10 to 15 points. So if he wins by eight, he wins. But that's a, an indictment on his strategy. I think he barely loses. Um, but ultimately, the, people got to realize what the expectations game is here. What's your gut telling you going in? I think Vallis has it. Um, the one thing we have to keep an eye on is that turnout. Um, when we look at early voting turnout in this race, it signifies uh, good, good signs for Vallis. Um, we put out something over the weekend that talked about some of those numbers, about um, where we're seeing strong turnout among seniors um, and even uh, middle-aged voters. We're seeing strong turnout from uh, white voters. They make up right now 48% of the early vote. Um, we're seeing black turnout just be okay. They're only making up about 24% of the early vote. Uh, Republican turnout is up a little bit. Democrat turnout is down a little bit. Um, so uh, you expect that Vallis is going to win the early votes. You expect that Vallis is going to win election day. 
The question is, how much does Johnson win the vote by mail ballots by? Uh, and so I, the one thing I'll say is when you're watching this race on Election Day, don't get too excited when the first couple rounds of votes come in, because Johnson is going to gain all night. He's going to gain for days. And so the key is if Vallis is up by 10 um, early on, you could feel comfortable with that. If Vallis is only up by five, Johnson may make up those points in the hours and days after seven o'clock on Tuesday well, night. Well, so actually, it'll be the early be votes. It'll be the early votes that come out first because they'll they'll dump those all in yeah. and push and those cards will win in those first. Votes. Yeah, so so we'll see we'll see those the early votes come in and then uh, you know the the mail votes will will be in that as well and then then we'll see the day of trickle in and then of course if it's close the the late arriving mail ballots could be you know in the thousands and, and could change everything so. Uh, let's move out to the suburbs. Uh, in Naperville, uh, you have a uh, an open race uh, between a, a city councilman, Benny White, and uh, a local businessman, uh, Scott Worley. Uh, it's 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 a really, to me, it's an indicative story of where DuPage County has gone. Uh, it, it, Naperville was rock solid Republican for so many years, uh, you know. The, the current mayor has is a Republican, but has kind of moved himself away from the traditional Republican Party. Uh, is is this a is this a race that that just shows why Republicans are having such a hard time in DuPage County? It is. Um, it's it's very reminiscent of the Greg Hart campaign for county board president. Um, I know a lot of the same people are involved, so that's not overly surprising. Um, where you sort of had this transition. We've seen this uh, doing politics in other states. I watched this happen in Texas, for instance, um, where when we haven't had to fight for so long, when it was so easy for so long, um, you just, you don't know tactically how to win. Uh, and we're seeing that a bit in DuPage where it was so easy for so long that suddenly with the Democrats making inroads, we were caught flat footed. Most of our candidates hadn't had to run tough races. Even our incumbents just never had to work very hard to win. Um, our, our, our staff, our political people behind the scenes uh, hadn't really had to run those those tough races. And so I think we're just we're playing catch up a little bit. Um, and you know, we're seeing some winnable races go by the wayside. You know, this is a situation where you have to understand that White is the front runner. So we're really not winning. That's the expected result. But that doesn't mean that Worley can't win this race. He's running a strong campaign. I know he's working hard, um, but this is absolutely a winnable race. This is not a foregone conclusion. He he's had the obviously more money in the race because of the business community over there. You know there are still some Republican donors in in that part of the world. I I think you know I I think these are mail races for the most part. Uh, you know direct mail where where you're trying to convince voters through mail less than maybe your traditional gubernatorial race where there's so much spent on TV and so much spent on digital. What's what's the strategy in a, a place like Naperville where you're essentially your own ecosystem out there, uh, but but you're still without your own media market. You don't have your own radio station. You know, the Tribune's your newspaper. Your Chicago TV hasn't been out there at all. How, how do you run that sort of race, either side? Yeah, I mean, it's... 
Um, you have to have an air game and a ground game. And I think that's been a little bit of our challenge. Well, a lot of bit of our challenge on the Republican side is limited ground game. Even when we do well in the air game with whether it's TV or in your case, you're right. This is a mail race over a TV race. You can do cable, but it's mostly going to be done in mailboxes and over a lot of targeted digital ads, which I know a lot of that's happening right now. Um, but you, you got to pair that with a ground game. And I think that's when we've been looking at this race. Uh, from an air game perspective, when it comes to mail, when it comes to messaging and marketing, Worley's actually done a great job and he's probably beating White in that category. It's the ground game where White is dominating Worley. And so when we project this race out, you know, these local races are all about turnout. When it's a 10 to 15% voter turnout, maybe you get to 20%. These races are dominated by who can get their voters to the polls. Um, and the Democrats have a stronger ground game. Uh, White is, is has a stronger ground game. Um, and so he's going to get his people to the polls. That's why we you see this race leans white um for, for those that don't for those that don't do this what what do you mean by ground game yeah it's it's bodies it's it's activity it's grassroots activity um we put out a tweet on the race and i had seven different replies from benny white supporters um pushing benny white uh, so social media it's not just door-to-door -door, but it is door-to-door -door. it's texting it's phone calls it's having bodies you know the republican party tends to struggle with this um, our actions are paid. We will put out a paid text over having like human beings actually text voters. Um, you know, we'll do lit, uh, lit drops because we can't afford to get enough people out there to go knock on doors and talk to voters. You know, an actual grassroots uh, campaign and grassroots activity, we struggle with this right of center and we have for a while. Um, this is White's significant advantage in the race. Uh, and so that's the problem for somebody like Worley. It was the problem for, for Greg Hart and for others in DuPage County, where you could run a great marketing campaign, but that's only half the equation. We struggle with the other half. And down in Joliet, um, it, it's sort of the opposite. It's kind of a, a longtime blue collar union town. And, and, and obviously these races are, are quote unquote nonpartisan, but we know who the Republican is. We know who the Democrat is. Uh, you, you have a, a, an incumbent mayor there, Bob Odekirk, who, who one would have thought would be would be fine in a, a race like this. And you know, polling shows both from from Terry Darcy's campaign and, and from your your shop uh, that there there could very well be a blowout in Joliet tomorrow. What happened? Yeah, uh, and actually, my team was on the ground just interviewing voters uh, last week and over over the weekend. And yeah, this thing. Um, it's going to be a blowout. Uh, it's not, it's not does Darcy win. It's by how much um, it's really just it's Oda Kirk style. So we've worked and you have to with a lot of people like Oda Kirk where the results sometimes are there. Um, I don't live in Juliet, so I can't speak to all of it. So I'm not saying he's done an amazing job or a horrible job. It's really not about that. It's about his style, the way he's done it. He's a very brash person. We see this with nationally, like Chris Christie and people like that, where people love it for a little while and then it wears on them. I mean, people loved Lightfoot style until it wore on them and then they were done with her. Um, and with Oda Kirk, he's been in office eight years and this, this really hit the fan in 2020 during the, um, during the, 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 uh, protests or riots, whatever you want to describe it as, um, where he, he got into some major problems. Again, sort of believing his own narrative that, man, people love this tough guy exterior that I show. Uh, and it just, that kind of thing has a shelf life. And unfortunately for Oda Kirk, the shelf life, uh, it's expired for him. When you look at these suburban communities, and obviously Naperville and Joliet aren't, aren't the only ones that have mayoral races this weekend. We don't have all day to talk about all of them, but, but there, there are two very different examples of where suburban communities are. I mean, Naperville is the the growing, affluent, uh, you know, ritzy sort of suburb out to the the west, and 
and Joliet's that that blue collar, hard hitting, um, you know, sort of struggling with crime and 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 uh, infrastructure issues. Uh, that that's you know, kind of almost like your Rust Belt sort of town. When when you see the 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 two sort of communities in their and the way that they're approaching these races differently, you know, you see the uh, the the way that you know the the kind of business minded uh, Republican is the the underdog and and not catching on. If he does win uh, in Naperville, it'll be a surprise. Now you've got the business minded Republican in in Joliet that that's likely to clean house. What what's the difference in in these different communities? Is it demographics? Is it race? Is it money? What, why are these suburbs all so different politically? Yeah, I think the big thing that um, I, I like to teach my team, I mean, we've got five people on our political team. We've got a lot more on our ops team. And I always say everybody has a strategy that's good. We want to hear from everyone on the team because each of these regions are different. And I wouldn't say that it's easier or harder to win in one place or another. I think back two years ago, we elected a business-minded conservative, semi-conservative woman as mayor of the city of Waukegan over the incumbent black mayor. I mean, it's possible in these very blue areas to win, but you're Running it happens a lot is, is people run one race, they win, and so they just do that strategy over and over. And and each of these, these locations are different. Naperville is different than Joliet. Joliet's different than Rockford. Rockford's different than Waukegan. Waukegan's different than Springfield. Uh, and so you've got to be able to develop a strategy around that specific community. And right now, the South Suburbs is a ripe community for Republicans and conservatives. Uh, you look back to the election results from November, and you'll see that Republicans actually did pretty well in Will County. They did pretty well in the South Suburbs. A lot better than they did in Lake or DuPage or some of these other counties. Um, it's because it's working class voters who are frustrated with crime. They're frustrated with how left moving the Democratic Party has been. We always talk about how the Republican Party has, has moved past our voters, and it's kind of true. So is the Democratic Party. They're moving further and further left, and they're leaving behind working class voters in the South suburbs. And so I think you just have to understand the community in which you're running and build a strategy around that. And that's where we think we've been struggling. Let's move downstate to uh, Springfield, uh, where uh, the incumbent, Jim Langfelder, uh, is, is facing the city treasurer, Misty Busher. Uh, Busher has run a pretty good race, from all indication. Um, I, I don't think her, her paid media has been particularly good, from what I've seen, but, uh, but it doesn't have to be sometimes, especially if you're, you have good money coming in. But she's, she's kind of got a broad coalition, uh, you know. Republicans and unions, you've got kind of your, your Democratic establishment behind Langfelder. What are you seeing on the ground down there? Yeah, we're fascinated in the dichotomy between Naperville and Springfield and how different strategies are, are producing different results. We obviously have to see on Tuesday night what happens, but Busher has done a very, very good job. And the people behind her have done a very good job on the ground gauge side of this. Um, and they've done a great job on building coalitions and, and extending their support. So what they did is they locked down their base and then moved to the middle and built a campaign around the middle. Um, and so as a result, they've got a really strong ground game to go with the fact that they've got all sorts of endorsements. And you look at the early voting numbers right now. And there's a few numbers that, that indicate Langfelder has a good chance in this race. Uh, senior turnout is high and he'll probably do well with seniors. 
Um, but there's a, a few other, you look at Democratic turnout being just okay, whereas Republican turnout is great down there in Springfield right now. Obviously, Busher is going to do very well with Republicans. A, a lot of Republicans are backing her, um, as are Democrats and independents. I, I just think everything's lining up for Busher to pull this off. But people get, they've got to realize is that Langfelder is Teflon. I mean, the guy um, has been counted out time and time again, and he always pulls it out. Um, he will overperform every single number that you come into that race with. So if, if Misty pulls this race off, it's going to be an impressive one. It, it was interesting, it, it, you know, the old line, yard signs don't vote, but I was really surprised when I was in Springfield last week at at the the sign advantage for Busher, uh, even in, you know, areas kind of around the Capitol that you wouldn't consider your, your rock-ribbed Republican areas. It's kind of, you know, you've got a few more, you know, liberal and, and African-American uh, neighborhoods around the Capitol area. Um is is that an excitement issue? Is that is that people in Springfield just being frustrated with the, you know, the I don't, I don't know if you want to call it deadening, but it's just you know Springfield's just not booming at the moment. What what are what are what are their issues? Yeah. So you asked two questions. I'm going to give you two answers. The first answer on yard signs, as you know, yard signs don't vote. Here's the hidden secret on yard signs, especially in a city like Springfield. Um, sure, voters are putting signs up, but that's not what you're seeing. That's just indicative of having the firefighters and a number of other very active unions who are awesome at yard signs on your side. Uh, those of us in politics know that some of these groups, you get them on your side, you're going to own the yard sign game. That's what you're seeing there. Uh, so it's a sign of the union support that, that Busher has, uh, has been able to pull together. Um, that's what you're seeing with those signs. In terms of what's motivated, which is race, which is an interesting you know comparison to Chicago that the firefighter and police unions are with the the more centrist candidate than they are the the traditional you know longtime democratic or progressive candidates. Yeah, I mean you see those unions tend to lean center center right, so I, I wouldn't be I'm not surprised they're with Vallis. I'm not surprised they're with Busher. Um, so I mean it makes sense. Uh, and I think they've been more and more vocal over the years. So uh, it's certainly an, uh, one of the few advantages that right of center candidates might have in this state uh, if they can tap into it. So um, it definitely is a benefit for, for Bush's campaign. I really think, you know, you hit a point. We've run a lot of incumbent races in these municipalities and you hit a point where voters just want change. They, they want something different. We just went through one of the hardest things to go through in COVID and some of these other challenges. Um, and so right or wrong, voters just want something new. Uh, you know, and sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. Sometimes you end up with Mark Tressman because you got rid of Lovie Smith. So it's not always good that you get new. But ultimately, I, I just think that's Langfelder's issue. There isn't, you know, there's a few minor challenges that he has that the Busher campaign is doing a great job at pushing. But this isn't an Odekirk situation where um, there's just an oppo book and he's easy to beat. There's so much to attack. It just isn't really what's happening here. I think, I think it's just Springfield voters want to see change. You're right. It has stagnated a bit. Uh, and so people want to see something new and, and Busher is new. I mean, she's got experience. She's a city treasurer now. So it's not like you're getting somebody who doesn't know how to how to um, run a government. Uh, and so I think that's really what this is boiling down to in this race. And interestingly, in Chicago, in Champaign, where where you have a, a kind of center right, barely Republican uh, mayoral candidate in a city that has moved so leftward, you know, Deb Finan is the clear favorite to win a third term. Yeah. Well, and that, that comes down to results. I mean, you and I know uh, Deb has done a great job in the city there. And uh, ultimately, when you're the incumbent, you have an advantage for a reason. If you do the job, I mean, Madigan taught his his house members this all the time. Act as if you're a ward boss. Act as if you're a precinct person. Go out there and take care of the people and they're going to vote you in. They're going to take care of you. 
Um, and that's, you know, that I'll point to something people don't realize in Joliet. That's part of why Darcy ran away with this thing. If you go anywhere in that town, you, you've seen Darcy's name for years. Uh, he has been um, investing in community uh, uh, projects, supporting the local Little League clubs with his logo up there for his car dealerships. I mean, when you invest in your community, that's how you win. A lot of these races, we get so stuck in the campaign and the campaign means so little. Uh, races are won and lost before a campaign starts. And, and that's what I think you see in a, in a Deb Finham. Uh, that's what you see in a Terry Darcy. I mean, these people put themselves in great position in Deb's case by being a good mayor and taking care of the people. In Darcy's case, by investing in the community for years, you know, that's how you set yourself up for success. And you can see uh, good examples of that in those two candidates. And just in the interest of full disclosure, I worked on finance campaigns in, in 2015 and 2019, but don't have any role with her this time around. So hey, um, we, we all know you have no problem pissing off your friends. So I think everybody believes you'll say it if it's true. I don't know what you, I don't know what you mean by that. So uh, <laughs> before we let you go, Colin, the the big political battle over school boards, um, you know, this this is maybe brewing from COVID, but also the the kind of culture wars out there over, you know, transgenders and the, the, you know, the theory of critical race theory that, that isn't actually curriculum. Um, the Democrats have come in with a ton of money, Republicans and, and affiliated groups because the state party doesn't have any money uh, have, have come in to, to support, you know, right leaning candidates why have partisan politics infected school board races kind of where they haven't ever before? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of inevitable. We saw this uh, with mayoral races. We saw this with um, even township races. It really started at townships because most of these township races are partisan. Then it bled into mayoral races and then it bled into these boards. This really was unfortunately inevitable because everything is politics now. I mean, you can't watch a sports game. You can't um, you can't do anything without it being political nowadays. So this unfortunately was inevitable. Um, and both sides are doing it. You know, I, I've heard this narrative that it's all the right and it's all the right's fault. I got text messages from Democrats um, that they sent out to left-leaning voters or who they thought were left-leaning voters the summer and fall of last year, trying to recruit people to run for local office saying, we'll support you, we'll donate to you, we'll help you. This isn't just Republicans. Both sides have done it. So if you don't like it, you can't just blame one side or the other. Both sides have done this. We've politicized our school boards. And that part's unfortunate, but I think when you look at it, this is just like everything else in our politics, where there's a reasonable middle lane here. You know, I was talking to some members of a, a teachers union who vote very left-leaning. Obviously, I'm more right-leaning. And we just, off the record, no cameras, no recordings. We both promised we wouldn't tell anybody, you know, who we were in this conversation. Um, we talked about some of these books that are in question. And you can't, you can't even put these books, like, I couldn't put it on your podcast. You'd get blacklisted if you had some of these images um, on your podcast. And so there's a reasonable lane here where we say, okay, both sides have a point. We should be exposing kids to um, opinions that aren't, aren't their own. That's a good thing. That's the point of education. So we're not going to ban books. We're not going to you know, uh, 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 only give one viewpoint. And on this side, okay, yeah, you're right. Some of this isn't age appropriate. There's a middle, easy middle lane here where frankly, I'd imagine the vast majority of Americans, and I've seen this in polling, fit in that middle lane. And yet our political parties are taking it to either you're a book banner um, or you want to give pornography to three-year-olds. And there's just there's so few voters there. Everyone is here. Uh, and so my hope is we get through April, uh, we get through tomorrow, and then maybe the next time around we can do this better where we say, you know what, let's have a more reasonable and responsible conversation because there is a good conversation to be had here, uh, but I, it's just not happening right now. 
as the centrist voice has been shouted down now for a while, I, I don't know that we'll see everyone come to their senses, but we can only we can dream. All right, Colin Corbett uh, from Core Strategies, based in the suburbs. Uh, uh, I, I good luck to your White Sox. I have nothing against the White Sox. I'm a downstate Cubs fan, so my hatred is for the the Cardinals. Uh, so uh, I, I will continue to not care about your baseball team. So. Uh, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. See you, buddy. All right. Thanks to our friend Colin Corbett from Core Strategies based in the suburbs for his uh, his thoughts on uh, the Chicago mayor's race and mayor's races around the suburbs and downstate, too. Uh, appreciate his perspective. He's kind of one of the few uh, voices in the state that's been watching all of the races. You know, a lot of your media has been Chicago only uh, focused or, or just in their own communities. So, uh, good to get a perspective uh, on on uh, the the wide lens, the wide angle lens uh, around the state. Uh, we'll have plenty of coverage in our newsletter Wednesday morning uh, on not only the Chicago mayor's race, but uh, mayor's races from around the state and what it means moving forward. Uh, should be should be fun. Uh, it's always an election day that that is a little bit under the radar, but but one that's very important. You know, obviously the municipal level of government. And school board level of government is is the one that's most directly impacting to your life. Uh, so so pay attention, do your homework. Everybody has a website. Everybody has a Facebook page. Uh, do your homework and and go out and and get to the poll on uh, on Tuesday. Thanks so much for for joining us. You can read our stuff anytime at theillinois.com, and we'll talk to you again soon.